This is Humans of Gaming, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hello and welcome to the Humans of Gaming podcast. I'm your host, chief content nerd of Love Thy Nerd, and uh, I'm here with my co-host, Chris Gwaltney. Hey, I'm here. What's your role? What's your title? Chief Executive Nerd. I like our titles. Yeah, they're You're okay. Not sold yet, huh? <laughs> I think we should see. What do uh, I need to, do to get you over the hump? We should um, see if any of our listeners want to give us feedback. Send send your feedback to Drew at lovethynerd.com and Chris at lovethynerd.com and tell us if you like those titles. Uh, and uh, but we have a special we have two special guests on the podcast. I feel a little bit bad about because I don't I didn't ask you prior to the podcast about how to pronounce your last name, but I'm here with Patrick and Kat. Uh, do you go by Pat though, Patrick? No, normally, yeah, we talk Pat and Cat, and it's Lysite, like Lysite with an L in front, just spelled Lysite. totally different. Yeah, Lysite. Am I saying it right? Yep. Lysite. Okay, cool. And uh, yeah, so you guys uh, are are the owners, directors, operators of Chara Games. Is how how would you define Cara. your roles? Cara. Cara Games. Oh, I'm for two. Jeez. Yeah. Yes, is- absolutely. So uh, we we are the company. It's it's the two of us. There's nobody else. <laughs> what are your yeah. guys' titles? Do you have cool titles like we do? Uh, a president and designer are kind of the the working exhibit badge names. Boring. But but he has he has business cards and I don't. <laughs> wow. Uh, so who's the president? And who's the designer? Uh, so officially, I'm the president. And, and- Which makes me the designer, but that's definitely backwards. Because he's the primary <laughs> designer. <laughs> but I don't nice. think good idea fairy really fits on a business card. It's a lot more interesting. Though. Hey, I think that's great, man. I'm all for weird titles like that. I think it's great. Yeah, I like good idea fairy a lot. That's really strong, actually. <laughs> I feel like I could use one of those. Like, could we, could we bring you on as like a consultant for uh, Humans of Gaming and Love Thy Nerd as like a... We can call on you to be our good good idea idea person. (laughs) We can keep uh, fairy. We can can pay you exactly none dollars per hour. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. That's what I'm making now. Cool. But but we'll get you a business card with a cool title on it. (laughs) Oh, you know, I've been been one up. We'll double what you're making currently. How's that? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, tell us about Kara Games, which I. almost mis well did mispronounce <laughs> yep so uh we you know our mission is to to build games that create joy by developing relationships with god and people um so we believe that uh joy in life that the enduring kind of joy not the joy that's dependent on happiness that's what kara means it's the the greek word for enduring joy and it's based on relationships our relationship with other people and our relationship with God. And so we try to make board and card games. We're on the analog side of gaming. So we make board and card games that allow you to sit around a table and and develop those relationships. And so each of our games 
explores a, uh, a Christian topic, but does it from a standpoint that's open to anyone of any faith background. And we have kind of two main goals. One is that a person of any background can sit down and play the game and have fun and, and maybe, you know, get exposed to something they wouldn't normally encounter, but can engage with it at the level that they want to or not. Uh, and then for a Christian, you can sit down and play our game and learn something about history or about a given topic that you probably wouldn't encounter in the normal course of a, an American church kind of life. And so it becomes a, an avenue to explore through gaming some really interesting stuff that we just don't encounter. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So can you give us an example of like something that someone might learn from one of your games, maybe one that you're proud of that, you know, a game that you're proud of that you feel like teaches players something they wouldn't have known otherwise. So the thing that I would comment on is commissioned our first game. It's a big box game. Uh, The board is two sided on the first side of the board. You're going to go through four different scenarios that are all covered in the book of acts. So most Christians are exposed to that level of church history. It's early church history. The first hundred, 150 years. Right. But the back side of the board covers a scenario that is after acts but before Christianity becomes the uh, state church or uh, approved religion of the Roman Empire. So between, say, 100 AD and 300 AD, how far does Christianity spread? And I'm asking that not, you know, I actually want to know, do you know how far it spread? Do I? Yeah. I feel like I should... Because I've been to seminary. But we don't. Uh, the average Christian doesn't know how far Christianity spread before 300 AD. Yeah. And that's in, in the face of persecution, right? So this is working against the grain. Uh, and, and so the scenario explores the fact that Thomas uh, took the uh, gospel out to India by 57 AD. Um, Andrew goes around the Black Sea uh, through parts of... Uh, of Russia. Uh, Another uh, disciple took uh, the gospel down the Nile River Valley to Ethiopia. uh, And the disciples of Peter and Paul had taken the gospel through Spain and across all of Western Europe. And that's by about 200 AD, well before Christianity makes any kind of political inroads into the Roman Empire. So this is this is massive spread very early and, and against the grain. And this is something that I I had been a Christian for almost 20 years and didn't know. And it was in doing the research for this game and trying to develop scenarios for this game that I went through some church history stuff and was reading a book for my own edification that I realized, oh my goodness, the church basically covered the known world within 200 years. And that's astounding. And how is this not common knowledge within Mm. modern Christianity? And, and whether you believe in, you know, if you're a Christian or if, if you don't, the what the church did massively changed the face of Western civilization. And so yeah. there's this whole movement that so much of our history is predicated on that whether you're a Christian or not, we just don't know because we don't discuss it. Right. So I have a question. I mean, Kat, you kind of maybe alluded to this, but 
before you guys dove in on commission, I mean, were you already kind of church history buffs or did that kind of come out of making the game? We were, we were in a Sunday school class that was doing church history. And I had just, I had just done a, a, a graduate level class on church history. And so the two things just kind of came together. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So how do you, I'm curious about how you go about, um, presenting that sort of subject because I find it fascinating. Um, but I'm also like a Christian and have a background in, in, in pastoral ministry and I've been to seminary and that sort of thing. So I find those sort of things fascinating. How do you present that in a sort of way? Cause you mentioned this earlier to players in a way that's going to be interesting to them. Cause I think some people like here and, and maybe you can't do much about that. Cause some people hear church or Christianity, church history, the Bible acts, they hear those words and they're just like, Oh, well, uh, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, pass. Uh, but one of the goals of your, of your company obviously is to, to make these, make games that are interesting and, and going to be, um, something that people, uh, outside the Christian faith would want, would want to play. So I'm curious of how you, you, you approach that. So uh, I think a lot of it for us boils down to in the design process, we work very hard to preserve the free will of players to act in the way they decide. So our games aren't going to tell you how to think. Uh, They are simply going to put you in a situation and ask you to solve a problem. Uh, And so, for example, in Commissioned, uh, you each work together uh, with different characters that represents character uh, from the early church. Uh, But each of you has a unique skill that the team needs to work together to solve the historical problem, be it religious persecution or government oppression or natural disasters that the early church faced. So it's a historic slant and it just immerses you in that situation and gives you a different challenge to solve in each problem. And so it's, it's not going to, you know, immerse you in the, the theology that's going on. It's putting you in the, right. in the scenario and saying, can you make decisions that will solve the problems that the, the, the church had to solve at the time to accomplish what they accomplished? And in the course of playing the game, you may encounter some of the, the, the things that the, or you will encounter some of the things that the, the church faced but it's not going to tell you this is the right way to think about it or this is even the right thing to do uh, because you're going to encounter different things that force you to make decisions on your own. And and we wanted the players to have the freedom to make whatever choices they wanted in that situation and, and see how it would play out against the historical backdrop. And so there is no necessarily right answer uh, for, for the uh the situation that you're in, the trials are going to come out in different order. Each time you're going to face kind of different situation based on the decisions that you make. And so you kind of let that play out. You leave it up to the player uh, to engage. And, and, and we provide a book, a companion book to the game that has all the information on this is what the actual historical events were uh, or scriptural ties. So if yeah. you want to go to that level of engagement, you can. But if you just want to sit down and play the game for an hour and have fun and solve a tough historical problem, then you can do that. And so it's it's yeah. not preachy or in your face in the way that too many Christian games approach things. 
I think Amen. he answered the whole thing well, but didn't answer your actual question, which was how do you make it fun? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, we have more married couples on, I think. <laughs> so I think the way that it is fun is you are constantly facing the opportunity of loss. Hmm. So every single trial, because the way the game works is you flip over a trial card and then now as a team, we have to figure out how to overcome that. So every turn, it's, you know, my church is being fed to the lions. How are you guys going to help me out? Okay, now there's been an argument in the mission team and our team has to split up and that affects what we're trying to do. So how are we going to overcome that? So every turn there's this, we're facing loss. We're facing a new problem that keeps the gameplay fresh. The other thing is mechanically, we've done some interesting things uh, f- from an effort to, to be innovative within the cooperative game space of board gaming. So a big problem they have is, uh, quarterbacking or alpha gamer where one player tries to play a big problem in 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 cooperative games and and when we talk about cooperative games obviously i think a lot of our listeners will know this but we're talking about a team game where you as a group are playing a board game against the board itself like again right right and you Um, either all win or you all lose but one player can kind of take over and play everybody's turn for them in this game it's so that there are some decisions that each player has to make on their own. They, and there are some team decisions that either you will get the chance to talk about or because communication in that century was bad, maybe you won't. And so there are some other things that can happen to interrupt. And so it keeps the players engaged in every turn, participating in every turn, uh, but not necessarily cooperating in every turn based on how the the messages uh, kind of shake out. And so that that's some interesting things going on in terms of the actual design of the game to keep it unique and fresh as compared to other cooperative games that are on the market. Well, that's what I, uh, I appreciate about your two games that I've played. You know, you guys are talking about commissioned and the way I always explain commissioned to people is it's reverse pandemic with a deck builder. Yeah. Right. And I think people get that. And what I appreciate about what you guys do is that you, um, you innovate, I think, on kind of well-established sort of mechanics or whatever in the board gaming world. You know, the other one that I'm referencing to is Unauthorized, which is kind of this social deduction game. Um, but unlike other social deduction games I've played, your allegiance can actually change. Um, right. Whereas all other social deduction games I've played, like, you know, you're the werewolf at the beginning and you're the werewolf at the end. Like it doesn't change or yeah. we've been playing, playing a uh, secret Hitler lately. I don't know if you guys have played that. No, um, I've seen it, but not uh, played it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a blast. I absolutely love it. There's nothing more gratifying than like shouting at your friends that they're fascists. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the other thing that we were very excited about with unauthorized was the ability to create a social deduction and influence game that, that an introvert is not at an immediate disadvantage. You know, when I sit down to play mm-hmm. who or resistance, I'm quiet. And so I'm immediately a suspect. People are going to kill me in the first round just <laughs> yeah. because I say nothing. That's not yeah. because I'm guilty or anything like that. It's just because I'm quiet. But the, the card-based gameplay that enables the, the loyalty shifting in unauthorized also enables an introvert to be at an even footing with the extra, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting because I have I had that same problem when we played Secret Hitler the other day. I got to, yeah. I got killed in our first game just because like <laughs> and, and I'm kind of like I'm kind of in between. Like I call myself an ambivert <laughs> because I feel like I don't fit either uh either category. Yeah. Um but uh but it's a it was a brand new game for me, so I'm just kind of being quiet trying to figure it out. It's the first time I played and boom, I was I was killed, but Dude. but when I played uh, unauthorized, um, yeah, that's that's probably the thing I thought was most interesting about it. Is the whole time you're sort of hedging your bets about which side you should side with, mm-hmm. um, and at times you feel really strongly, and that can change actually pretty quickly, yeah. uh, which is fun too. So you may find yourself at one point arguing really strongly for one side and trying to get that side to to kind of go over the edge. And then uh, a couple turns later, you know, a turn later, you're like, oh, man, no, I have to campaign really hard for the other side, which is yeah. a really <laughs> unique mechanic I've never seen in a game. Yeah. But uh, I'd be curious to hear, like, so um, obviously your games deal with religious subject matter. Um, and it sounds like, you know, they deal with them um, in this way that I think is accessible to people outside of Christianity. Have you gotten any feedback from, from people, um, who, you know, non-Christian folks, uh, who've played your games? What, what have they said? Oh, uh, we, we get a lot of feedback from all different sides, uh, kind of counterintuitively, we get more negative feedback from Christians than we do from <laughs> oh, non-Christians. It's funny oh, yeah. that it's not counterintuitive. Like we think that should be counterintuitive, but unfortunately that seems to be the norm. Yeah, no, people uh, in general are surprised by our games because they're actually good games that are fun to play. <laughs> and that's, that just tells you how low we as Christians have set the bar <laughs> yeah. for, for designing games. But no, yeah. In, in all seriousness, we do get a lot of people uh, that uh, are you know appreciate the effort that we've taken to to do uh, games that approach these themes in a, in a way that is accessible. Because you know there are board and card games about pretty much everything under the sun except anything that deals with religion. It's like the third rail, and I don't yeah. really understand why except for maybe it's just too emotionally charged. And so we tried very hard or we try very hard in our games as we're, you know, designing them and testing them with people of different backgrounds to make Mm -hmm. sure that it's, uh, that it's fair, uh, that it's, it's a representative viewpoint to what's being discussed. Like in our new game, soul of the empire, uh, we've got four different factions, right? We've got a Roman faction, a Jewish faction, a Christian faction, and then a faction of outside cultures from the first century, Germanic tribes, Goths, and Parthians. And in that game, as we were designing it, we really wanted to present those factions, not as they're viewed by history, i.e. the victor, um, Rome, <laughs> but as they viewed themselves in that time. Uh, mm. and, to, and it gives you the freedom to explore what they were trying to do, how they were trying to do it, and why they were trying to do it from a uh, from a neutral stance or or from a internal stance as opposed to an external stance. So it's not that the game the game is not judging any of those factions. It is simply putting you into those factions and allowing you to make your own to draw your own conclusions about them as a faction as you play. 
So I do want to uh, hear you guys' story. It's usually how we start this podcast, but uh, yeah. So tell us, like, where did you where did you grow up? So I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Ca- uh, Connecticut. My wife grew up in Southern California. You tell your story. I'll tell mine. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in Connecticut, uh, and then uh, we we met in Colorado, uh, and and we've lived in a lot of different places at this point. Um, we kind of got into gaming a little bit later, um, but I'll let you tell your story first. Well, I have to ask what what do you mean by my story? Are you asking for my testimony, or just asking for? No, I mean, yeah, where you grew up, what what was it like? Okay, yeah. I grew up in Southern California. Um, part? I was born in Orange, grew up in Riverside, and went to high school in Norco. Okay. Land of the horse and yes. the cow. There are more horses than people in Norco, California. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a unique little niche right in the middle of, you know, it's city from the ocean to the desert. But right there in Norco, the minimum, you know, plot line is a half an acre and you're not allowed to have sidewalks because the horses need their trails and it's just a unique Hmm. little town. It was. Did you ride horses? Did you like grow up doing that? I, yes and no. I did not own own horses, but my neighbors did. So I got a fair amount of exposure. That's probably the way to go because then you don't have to like pay for it and take care of it and stuff, but you can still have the fun. Right. Of all, the, it. all the benefits with none of the responsibilities. Right, exactly. It was great. It's um, kind of jam. That's what I tell my kids about about dogs. I'm like, Your, our neighbors have those. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. And then I went yeah. off to uh, college and met this guy. Yep. And uh, yeah, he. I was not introduced to games as a child. Um, you know, we did Candyland. I think was really the only game we had. In my house, it was awful. It was awful. Right. Yeah. Um, I've, been, I've been having to my my wife bought that for our, our my girls, and I've been having to play it recently. <laughs> so, with the game that you need to play is Run for Your Life, Candyman by Smirk and Dagger. Now, that is a fun game. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. Best played get... at Christmas with gingerbread cookies that you can use and eat as nice. you play the game. Wow! Yeah, that's a good idea. Phenomenal. At any rate, Patrick and I met um, in college, and he had grown up playing games with his brother. So he, of course, then introduced me to games. But we're talking heavy military strategy games, which I have zero expertise in. Axis and allies? uh, Huh? Diplomacy is actually where we started. And almost where we stopped. It, it, it almost ended our marriage before it began. It was, it was quite an interesting game. You're Dude, I get it, man. Biggest, biggest, <laughs> one of the biggest fights me and Ashley ever had was over Settlers of Catan. I had to like, <laughs> leave the house and go for a walk. I always have to tell her, like, hey, we aren't married when we're playing games. Like, <laughs> what we've got going is a good thing. Like, it does not exist on the island of Catan or anything else. But for some reason, that doesn't compute with her. I don't get it. Yeah, we were we were playing, and and Kat and I were working together against the other people that were playing, and and we were we were doing really well, and and she knew that eventually I was going to double cross her. It just happened about two to three turns before she expected it, which it was- made it so good strategically. It was amazing. <laughs> it was also probably the worst 
worst blunder I've ever made playing a board game. It was pretty brutal. It was like three more years before I played the game again. Yes. Wow. Painful. That's savage. Classic. So before we get going too far, I'm curious for both of you guys, um, what you grew up like. I mean, did you guys both grow up in Christian homes or not? Like, what was that whole process like? So for me... excuse me, my dad grew up in a Catholic home and my mom grew up in a Methodist home. They got married and they could not agree on a church. Mm. So I was unchurched until I was about eight years old. My best friend took me off to Awana. I actually got saved at an Awana church camp. Which is like a kid's program in church. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, then I continued to be unsaved because that friend moved or continued to be unchurched until I was mid high school when my best friend took me off to her youth group, which is a a children's program or a teen program at a church. And at that point I was baptized and started actually attending church regularly. My story is different. I mean, I, I was in a congregational church in new England. Like you think of the big white church on the top of the Hill. That's, that was the, that was my church. You know, it's in the city seal and everything there in, in Bristol, Connecticut. But um, so I, I did everything you could possibly do in church growing up. Uh, you know, anytime the door was open, we were there, but either, either I didn't hear the message of Jesus in a way that I could understand it, or they weren't saying it. I don't really know. It was the church that people went in town to be seen going to church. If, hmm. if you kind of hear what I'm saying, yeah. um, so I went off to college and I just kind of did my own thing for about a year. Um, wasn't necessarily anti-Christian. I would have thought of myself as a Christian at the time. Uh, but but then I, I realized uh, through Kat and some of the other people I met in college that I really had no idea what the Bible actually had to say. I'd grown up with it or around it my entire life, but never had really looked into it. Uh, and so, I mean, I just, I had no idea what, what the actual claims were of Christianity. And so I, I came, I came to Christ in college, reasoning my way through with the help of some people who really took the time to answer my questions and, you know, wrestle with my, my thoughts and my doubts. And, uh, and, and I really became a Christian and, and started walking that journey uh, in the the second half of college. Wow. Yeah. So, what what do you remember? Like, um, what that process was like? Like, I'm curious of of you know when you started exploring your faith uh, yourself. Was it just friends that kind of challenged you to do that, or was um, you know where did the what began the process of sort of taking your faith more seriously? So it all started with a beautiful girl. That's my yeah, story. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I met Kat in spring semester of freshman year, and uh, I, and I was very interested in her right away. Um, uh, she invited me to participate in some ski trip, uh, ski trips, and some other things with a uh, an on campus ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which actually has nothing to do with sports. It's just, you know, it's a on-campus group. Uh, yeah. And so I, I participated with them for a while, mostly just to spend time with Kat. 
but then I remember being there maybe two to three months later and realizing that I was really enjoying the group more than I was enjoying spending time with her, that, that there was something that the people in that group had. There was a hope and a, a joy that they had that I didn't have and that I needed, that I wanted. Um, and so at, really at that point, it kind of opened my eyes to Christianity being something other than the traditions that mm-hmm. I had grown up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that really opened the journey. And, and as I started to have conversations with people, they did the natural thing, which was to start asking me questions. And, and you know, they'd ask me questions about like, well, what do you know about the Bible? What do you believe about Jesus? And my answer was, uh, I don't understand why you're asking me these questions. I've been in church my whole life. That makes me a Christian, doesn't it? <laughs> Question mark. Yeah. Ah, let's start at the beginning. Uh, and so they did. Uh, and it was both friends and a, a couple in particular that really took me aside and led me through what what following Jesus means and what and how it is a relationship and not a, a religion. Uh, and, and that is really what opened my eyes. And I'll, the biggest change that I noticed in me personally was that when I became a Christian for the first time in my life, I was the same person on the outside that I was on the inside. And to explain that, like I have always been an eyes dotted T crossed rule obeying straight laced person. That's just how I'm wired. But that's what everybody sees on the outside. Mm. It's not who I was on the inside. Like my first instinct was always to say or do something else, but I would check it because I would say, okay, well, that's not what I want people to think about me. What I want people to think about me is blank. And so I was this huge hypocrite that I knew that other people didn't know. And after I became a Christian, I realized that I was living free in the sense of I could, my first instinct usually is is the correct one. That doesn't mean I do things right all the time, but what it means is I can live transparently and let people see me for who I am. And, and that's, it's just freeing to be yeah. in that situation. Wow. Hmm. So, Kat, you kind of mentioned, you know, doing the youth group thing in high school and stuff. I mean, what was that process like um, for you? I mean, we got to hear from Pat, but. Yeah, my story is very much a story of friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was eight, you know, my best girlfriend took me to the children's program Awanas. When I was 16, my best girlfriend took me off to her youth group and my something happened with my dad at that time that he came to faith and decided that the church, the family needed to be in church. And so we as a family were going to church and we as a family got baptized. That was very much my choice, but that's just the way it panned out for me. And then when I went off to college, I did my own thing for several months where I was just, you know, Sunday morning was a time to sleep. And it was, again, a friend who said, hey, I'm going to this Bible study off base. Would you like to come with me? That really drew me back into um, walking with Jesus. And then it was really that Bible study group where the leaders emphasized a strong foundation in, in the scripture. 
and really understanding what does the Bible say, how does that impact our lives, and how do we live in obedience? And so really for me, walking with Jesus in a relationship really took root when I was in college, when I was really challenged by, okay, I know what the Bible says, but I'm not actually doing what the Bible says to do. And that's not okay. And and beginning to actually walk out what I believe and what I knew to be the right thing. So for me, it's always been about the friends that have drawn me closer to God. And so, uh, so you guys, when did you guys get married? Right after graduation. Graduated oh, wow. on Wednesday, got married on Saturday. It was a whole lot of life change. Wow. And uh, how was, I'm curious to, like, when, at what pro, how did you guys get into designing games? When, when did that take Okay, place? so <laughs> my family was coming for Thanksgiving just a couple years ago, three years ago. No, longer than that. It was 2013. Sure, whatever. 12. And 12. <laughs> my brother and my sister. That's one of those things right there. That was one of them. It doesn't matter. Remember what I was talking about earlier. <laughs> so my brother and sister both love playing games, but they like different kinds of games. And so Patrick wanted a game that would fit both of them, that we could all four of us sit around the table and just have a fantastic time. And so he's And you guys both. You guys at this point are both into board games, yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah, we picked up Settlers of Catan several years before that, you know, moving. We move every couple of years. And so board games have become our way of building a social network, of building friendships. And we invite people over for dinner and we're going to play a game. Whether you know anything yeah. about games or not, by the time you leave this house, you will. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. So we're several years into our, our game fun experience at this point, and Patrick decides he wants to design a game. Yeah, I basically took Settlers of Catan and Axis and Allies and kind of mashed them together with a medieval setting and developed a, a different kind of, you know, a game that models both economic and military combat kind of things. And and so uh, that it actually, it was terrible at Thanksgiving. Like <laughs> my, my poor brother and sister-in-law, they they re- they struggled through it and uh, but after about five months it was a decent game that was interesting and so I reached out to a couple different publishers uh, one of them being Rio Grande Games to say you know okay. how how do I pitch this to you and they said well you need to come to a convention and I was like a, a board game convention that exists uh, yeah. and they're like yeah <laughs> c- come to origins in in june and i'm like okay I'll, I'll meet you at origins in june quick google what's origins <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I went to ohio and and went to origins and i my eyes were just opened to the scale of modern board gaming like we had what year was this sorry that would have been the summer of 13 okay and so I, that was my first show you know there were fifteen thousand people there and people were just playing all kinds of amazing games. Uh, you know, this whole convention center was filled with people. And it was it was amazing. And I talked to uh, like 10 different publishers with my game. And a publisher was interested and took my game home. And like the whole thing was just this amazing experience. And so, uh, you know, it was a very exciting time. And, and we, I got home. And a couple months later, I was like, well, I want to do that again. 
Except it takes a lot of time. A lot, a <laughs> lot of time. Too much yeah. time. So if I'm going to do this again, I have to convince my wife to do it with me. Otherwise, she's going to be very disgruntled. <laughs> and so I went because to Because she didn't see you as much and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I went, I went to Kat and I said, you know, I want to do another game. I, I, I want to do it with you. And she's like, well, okay. Because I love you. <laughs> Literally. In my mind, I'm thinking, be the obedient, supportive wife. Like this is what a good Christian wife does, right? She's <laughs> she's supportive, and so that's how I got into game design. <laughs> but but yeah. out of that, we we agreed that we wanted to explore the the idea of a religious game using modern board game mechanics because we had looked around and hadn't found any. We were playing all these amazing games like Pandemic and. Uh, all these other different things that we had we'd accumulated over the last kind of nine months of understanding what the modern board game world was. And there was just nothing like no one had attempted it. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, well, we'll give it a shot and see. And commission came out of it. And really after about three months, commission was working really well. And after about six months, it was working so well. I was like, okay, we have got to get this to a publisher. So I went back to origins in the summer of 2014 and I pitched it to 20 different publishers, and they all said, hey, this is a great game. It's got a lot of unique me- uh, mechanics stuff going on. We like how it's tight. It, it's an interesting kind of gameplay, but it just won't sell. So we're going to take it, and we'll strip the theme out of it, and we'll make it about zombies. Does that sound good to you? It's <laughs> like, well, that's that's not really what I was hoping to do with this game. Yeah. Um, so we, we sat on it. I wonder how often that – I bet that happens a lot when people pitch games because right. I feel like there's a ton of games about zombies. <laughs> so many. <laughs> well, yeah. and what we learned the first time Patrick went to Origins was go with other themes that you could reskin your game with. Yeah. Because if the market is currently flooded with medieval period games, then publishers aren't going to like – a medieval themed game. And so if you can already have in your back pocket, here are some other themes that would fit easily, then Mm -hmm. you have a better chance of getting a publisher. But yeah, retheming this game wasn't in our cards. Because the, the experience that we were trying to create Mm -hmm. for the player, it's so tightly tied the theme and the mechanics from the beginning that trying to reskin it at that point would have, I mean, we would have had to start, totally over to to come back to a cohesive whole at the end. And so that really wasn't where we were. And and so we sat on it for a while. And then all of a sudden, all of these people that I had met at Origins, not because I had sought them out, but because they saw me playing a prototype of Commissioned with Sam Healy, all of a sudden started coming to me and saying, hey, I really liked that game you had at Origins. I want to build you a website hey, I have a background in art history. I'd be interested in doing the art for that game. Hey, uh-huh. I have some uh, digital software that I would like to see. Maybe I can incorporate this into a digital version. Like all of these people were coming to to us, you know, unasked. And, and so finally uh-huh. we're like, okay, we got it. We're going to do this as a company. Like clearly – there has it's resonated enough with the small audience that we've got to that there is a market for this. So we we started a company, 
we went through all of the art production and, and streamlining and, and another round of robust play testing. And, and then in the summer of 2015, we went back to Origins as an exhibitor with the new company and we launched our Kickstarter for commission while we were there. Uh, and, and so that was, you know, three years, three success, you know, origins in a row doing this and just, uh, you know, it's a whole journey that had happened in that window. What Patrick yeah. kind of glossed over was in the, in the decision to make, to start the company, we really felt like these people coming to us and we had already had kind of the, should we do this ourselves question kind of niggling in the back of the mind. And mm. when all these things started coming to us, I felt very clearly that God was saying, I'm behind this move forward. So it was, it was very much God showing up and us being obedient to where we believed he was leading us. Yeah. And it must, I mean, did, I'm curious, were you tempted it? Cause I really appreciate that you kind of stuck to your guns and made the game that you wanted to make because I'm sure a lot of people and not, I'm not that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of people will probably wouldn't and would just be like, yeah, sure. We'll reskin it and, and, and do whatever because, um, you know, people have to, yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to make compromises in life. Um, I wouldn't judge someone for doing that, but, um, but yeah, I was just curious, like, uh, was was it all? Were you in that process ever tempted to to go that route, or did, were you pretty firm and like, no, I want to make this game the way I want to make it? And yeah, um, with this one, I don't think we were tempted at all. Um, that it was for that game, it was the story that we were telling, not the mechanics yeah. we were trying to sell. And I think that that has become true for each of our games. Like that, sure, you can swap out the themes and and make this game you know, use the mechanics to, to tell any story, but we have chosen a story that we want to tell and then built our mechanics to tell the story. And so to retheme one of our games after we've designed it kind of makes our brain explode. <laughs> I think what's really cool about what you guys are trying to do, what you are doing with your games is it's kind of the way I think we've seen uh, happen in the video game industry in the last, you know, several years where, you know, we have more and more games that it's, they're not just for sheer entertainment value. Like they're deep and thoughtful and provocative mm. and make you think more. I mean, that's the whole point of, you know, why, why we're so interested in gaming. And I think what you guys are trying to push with your games, obviously in board game world is saying, Hey, like games can be fun and they will be fun but they can also be more. And yeah. I think it's really admirable for you guys to want to try to push the medium forward. There's always going to be games that are just entertainment and that's great. Um, but I think there's also a space for games that um, can speak about more than just entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and there's all kinds of different board games that are, that are trying to, you know, explore that space in, in very different ways. Like, I'm playing this kind of mixture cross between a board game and a role-playing game by Plat Hat called Stuff Fables right now yeah. with my kids. Oh, I want that game. And it's, it's on my wish list. 
it's amazing. It's, you know, that you, we're, we're these stuffed animals trying to protect this little girl from yeah. the king of nightmares. And my kids are just, they're eating it up. But <laughs> what it's really about are all of the fears and doubts and, you know, anxious things that kids experience growing up. But they get to, they get to face those things from an, a, a perspective that allows them to kind of process it and engage yeah. it. So, I mean, there's really a lot of child psychology kind of built into the game and a lot of room for discussing, you know, wh- how does sharing affect our ability to move forward as a team? How, how do our choices in the moment shape our ability to respond to the thing, the bad things that happen in life? And mm. so there are all kinds of really meaningful games out there that, that we can enjoy and it's just fun to watch the watch the industry and the and the hobby explore those things in unique ways. Yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, Eleven down to two. We have four four kids, so we've got a range. Yeah, and uh, how old are the ones playing stuffed fables? I'm just curious. Eleven, nine, and six. Nice. Okay, trying to figure out because that's <laughs> one that's been on my list, and what you just yeah, said about it made me think. Yeah, uh, I have I have a six year old, a four year old, and a five month old. So, so um, I, I would wait maybe two to three years, but then you could you could take your older two through it. Did you guys right. play? Yeah, yeah. I forget the name of the guy that did stuffed fables, but he did mice and mystics first. Did you guys play that one by chance? Yeah, Jerry Hawthorne, and and we have mice and mystics. We have one of the expansions, and we have the uh, tail feathers. Yeah, you know, kind of combat variety. So our, our kids, you know, we love painting the minis and we love reading the stories. Yeah. It's it's become a thing for us. My wife and I, she's not super into games. Like she'll humor me. She likes more kind of just silly, goofy games. Um, whereas mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I would play Twilight Imperium all day, every day, uh, <laughs> nonstop. But I tried to find a compromise with my Sin Mystics. But what's interesting is like it it's really overly complicated i think and i'm kind of wondering if stuffed fables is the same way i've heard that it's not but um i guess i'm curious what your comparison between the two would be i think uh stuffed fables mechanically is a refined mice and mystics with a little bit of dead of winter kind of built into Mm -hmm. it so they use some of the crossroad card uh mentality but I, i think it's just a better system than mice and mystics like it just it works a lot better the way they've integrated the the choose your own adventure kind of story nature yeah. of the board. Um, so I, I mean, I re- I really haven't found a bad part of stuff fables yet. I've been pretty impressed it's on my list. Hmm. So for anybody listening, you, you know, uh, just look up my Amazon wish list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. What do your kids think of your your games. So our games uh, have are a little bit older than our kids. So uh, our older two have played commissioned and they enjoyed that. Uh, and then our oldest has played unauthorized. Um, the the new game, Soul of the Empire. It's just it's above where they're at right now. So Chris, if if you like meaty <laughs> strategy style yeah. games, Soul of the Empire is straight up I your alley. It, but uh, but our kids just aren't there yet. What they have played is. Are the the game that we haven't mentioned yet, which is Three Seeds. It's a basic light strategy card game. You're kind of managing sh- short-term point collection versus long-term set collection. 
Um, and, and that one they can play because uh, it's, it's just, I mean, it's very simple to learn, plays in about 40 minutes. Uh, so they've played that one as well and they enjoy that one. But a lot of the time, you know, we just sit down and, and we, we have a basket that we all write down games that we want to play. And then we pull uh, games out of the basket. We play those as a family. So trying to work our way through our collection. Yeah. How often do you guys play games together as a family? I'd say probably once or twice a week. Are you adopting? <laughs> if you come to town, you can play games with us once or twice a week. No problem. <laughs> nice. That sounds fun. I'll come as well. You well, can adopt didn't me invite as you, well. So don't so. invite yourself. That's rude. <laughs> oh, <dang>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what we do as a, an extended family now, yeah. too. Whenever we get together with either Kat's family or my family, I mean, we, we get together and we play games. It's, it's yeah. how we relax and, and have fun. So. We, we are certainly enjoying it. All kinds of different stuff. Yeah. And you mentioned before you're in the military and, you know, I think Kat said you're hopeful to retire in, 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 some, in the somewhat near future. Uh, <laughs> Sometime in the we, next 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, when, when that day comes, are you going to devote yourself full time to making games? What, where do you see your, your game making future yeah, I, I think that's the plan right now. We're trying to do one or two games a year to kind of build up our company's you know portfolio and make all the necessary uh, industry connections. You know, we went to Toy Fair this year to try to expand that uh, profile. We're doing some things to reach out to the homeschooling markets because we have some natural tie-ins there because we homeschool our kids. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, when I retire, we would like to be in a place where we can go into full-time game uh, design and convention attendance and and do this thing, you know, as well as as can possibly uh, be done. Uh, but that's it's just going to take time to get there. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, um, I've played unauthorized. I haven't played your other games. No, Chris has played commissioned. Um, I have a signed and, copy uh, suckers. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, I, I really appreciate you guys, this approach to, to making games. I think they're really well done. They're really thoughtful. Um, I'm, I'm excited about soul of the empire. Um, there's a Kickstarter campaign for it, right? Yep. Yep. Going on right now. We're halfway through our campaign and we're at about 80% okay. funding. Uh, so we're we're very excited. It looks like we're oh, on nice, track to make it. Nice, cool. So people can go check that out. Just search for Soul of the Empire on Kickstarter. Um, and then your website yep. is charagames.com. Is that right? Kara. <laughs> yep. I always want to say C-H-A-R-A. You know what's funny too is that um, I took like 18 hours of Greek. Wow, dude. So I, I got a, I got a, down. I took a semester of Greek and got a B and I don't remember anything. Well, you, <laughs> it's funny because we debated because when you, when you do the translation from the Greek to the English, you can spell Kara with a C H with a K or with an X. And so we had to decide how do we want to spell it? And we decided on the, the C H because what it puts us higher in the yeah, alphabet. What is the that percentage of people that say it wrong? Give, give a number. It's high. <laughs> like, <laughs> 95 percent i think you'd have that title. same usually it's the people with greek dollars i got it wrong the first right off the you bat. would have that you'd have that same problem if you spelled it with an oh, x for sure the only way to solve it would be with That's a true. k and i don't know i, I don't know that's necessarily better Kara, and, then it, right. and then it would yeah. be Kara yeah games. that's true that's true lose, lose. 
Yeah. Just close it up. Yeah. Yeah. You could do C A R A, but then that wouldn't really doesn't nobody alliterates that anyway. That's all there is. We're getting nerdy here. I took a deep dive uh, on that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, where else can people find you on the internet? Are you guys on Twitter or anything? We are on Twitter at Kara Games or at Facebook uh, at you know Facebook slash Kara Games, uh, and we would we'd love to to engage with anyone out there who has questions about what we're doing or why we're doing it. We're uh, very excited, obviously, about the Kickstarter that's going, but commissioned is also selling well and getting reprinted right. again. So we're very excited for how things are going, and just appreciate the opportunity to. Uh, to let your audience yeah, know what's going absolutely. on. Well, we're, uh, we're, we're happy to, to, um, yeah, to let our audience know about our games. We would, uh, wholeheartedly recommend people go check those out and, uh, and go support the Kickstarter if there's still time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's it for us here. Um, we would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, uh, and rate and review our podcast, search for love thy nerd on iTunes. Um, and the Humans of Gaming podcast is one of our podcasts in the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. Go rate and review it. Give it five stars. Tell people it's awesome. Spread the word on Facebook, Twitter, whatever social media you use about the podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. Um, go to Facebook and search for Love Thy Nerd if you want to join our community and follow everything that's going on with Love Thy Nerd because there are a lot of things going on. We're working as hard as we can to uh, to start a website and to get some things in the works. And if you want to follow all of that, uh, yeah, join our group on Facebook. Um, and I was just thinking about something you said earlier about all those people that just stepped up and said like, hey, I want to help you with artwork. And hey, I want to help you with this different aspect of your game. Um, if you're out there going like, hey, I want to help uh, love thy nerd <laughs> in some way. I have this to offer. Uh, you can email me or yeah, Chris. Like if you've Drew just got, a, nerd, uh, Chris you got a bag nerd. of cash and you're like, hey, I want to help. Uh, that's a that's a <laughs> great way. But, you know, other things, yeah. too. Yeah, definitely. If you have the bag of cash, love bags of um, cash. I can Those give you my favorite. PayPal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, but uh, thanks so much, guys, for coming on the podcast. Yeah. We really appreciate it. 